It's Wednesday, the 8th of December, 2021, and you're listening to episode 44 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. I'm your host, David Comerford, and, well, in Chloe Bloxham, we have a regular contributor to the Anfield Wrap. And now, uh, with Dan Club, we have someone who's featured on the Redmen TV. So we've got, really, a representative of the big two, I suppose. So uh, before we get into anything today, Dan, I just want to ask, first of all, how was it um, going into, into Redmen this morning for that uh, for that final word show? And also, yeah. did the opportunity arise to uh, mention the words Reds Unrestricted at any point? Um, yeah, it was really good. Cheers, mate. Uh, first and foremost, I really enjoyed it. Um, always good to talk about Liverpool, you know, whatever setting you're in, and especially after a win like last night. But I didn't get a chance to mention us this week, but I am back in on Tuesday. So hopefully it arises then. Well, I think the best thing to do would be to just walk in there with uh, the red restricted logo emblazoned across your chest um on your t-shirts i think i think that would probably I'm okay be with the, that. Yeah, I'm okay the best with that. advertising strategy but anyway <laughs> uh we'll get into the podcast and we'll start with uh who am i as usual so uh here's the first clue obviously you both know how this works by now so the first clue is liverpool paid 22.5 million to sign me so obviously fairly big money there mm-hmm. i'm still only 27 years old Markovic or someone like that. Oh, that is a banging shout after two. After two is, is it Lazar Markovic? Yeah, it is Markovic. I, 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 I said it after one, but I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll take your word for it. But... No, fair play. Yeah, that's outstanding work. That is. After you said, you would never oh, get one as well. Oh, it's all right. That, that'll be the that's one. That's probably the most one impressive one so far, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I agree. Really well, for the record, the other clues would have been that he left permanently in 2019 after four loan spells, joined when Rodgers was manager yeah. and had an infamous red card. Um, and we can all agree in that. Yeah, uh, the, the hand can, in the face, wasn't it? Yeah. Can the, we, nail, uh, just, the nail in the face, if anything. Can the clip for this uh, episode just be me getting that mark? Let's shout, please. Thank you. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll even edit it out so it seems even quicker. So there's no, yeah, no right. pause whatsoever. Right, um, anyhow, let's uh, move on to... Uh, the substance of the episode and we'll start by looking back on Liverpool's 2-1 Champions League victory over AC Milan. Liverpool obviously becoming the first team uh, from England to win all six of their group matches in the Champions League. So we'll start as usual with three-word match reviews and Chloe, seeing as um, you're riding the high of that uh, Who Am I answer, I'll let you go first. More history made was uh, my three because this football club, this football team that we've got now, just continues to deliver, doesn't it? Um, first English side to win all six, and um, it was one. It was called the Group of Death at the beginning, and we've absolutely well sailed through it, haven't we? Um, so yeah, proper boss night it was on Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely, and really, the it was a Group of Death for the others three teams really in the end to uh to wind up playing against Liverpool and Dan Chloe raves about um you know how good we are based on you know how we walk through this group and rightly so 
but um, I want your three out of you. But I also want to ask you um, what you kind of made of of the game yesterday in the sense that Milan obviously needing to go through Liverpool, you know, home and hosed. And yet, despite making that amount of changes, we kind of bossed the game and got the victory. Does that reflect really badly on Milan? Or is that just an indication of the, the strength and depth that Liverpool actually have? Yeah, so on firstly, on the um, three-word match review, I was torn between group of depth because I seen someone tweet last night and we used I think, 24 players in, in what was a very difficult group. And we absolutely sailed through it, like you say. But I ended up going with the Bolton Beresi in homage to Nat Phillips and that outrageous turn in the box. Um, but on the game more generally and AC Milan, I was really disappointed in them. And that sounds mad because I didn't want them to play well, obviously. But I thought, you know, given the fact they had to come out and win the game, I thought they were really passive, um, especially against a side that was heavily rotated. I know we had Alisson, Salah and Mane and there's still quality across the pitch, but... I thought AC Milan would really come out all guns blazing, but they never laid a glove on us. Um, And even the goal comes from their first corner after half an hour. And, you know, let's be honest, Takumi Minamino should deal with it at the the front post. And it comes from, you know, half a mistake, really. So I think it was pretty damning in terms of they're obviously top of Serie A at the minute. And I think it doesn't reflect particularly well on the Italian top flight right now. Um, I know Juventus have sort of fell off a cliff. Um, and that's reflected in their performances in the Champions League and in the league. Um, but like I say, I don't think Italian football, despite what happened for the national team in terms of domestically, I don't think it's in the strongest place looking at AC Milan last night because they had one or two missing. But if that side is top of the Serie A and they can't really dictate terms against what was a heavily rotated Liverpool side, then I don't think it's in the best place. Yeah, I think, you know, from from what I've heard, it's Milan certainly haven't been able to produce their their best football in Europe. But you know, at the same time, you look at it and you think, you know, they had the opportunities were there for them, and there was an opportunity last night. I think one of the things that struck me was that I don't know if you two thought this as well, but they seemed to treat the game as if they were playing Liverpool's strongest side in terms of the game plan they adopted up until maybe the final 15 uh, minutes of the game, really, when obviously they were they were desperate for a goal. They were kind of quite conservative in, the, in their game plan, I thought. Um, my three-word review kind of goes along similar lines to that. I've gone with almost felt guilty uh, because, you know, for Liverpool to, to make, I think it was eight changes, um, rock up at the San Siro and, and do that when Milan are desperate for points to get into the round of 16, it, it did almost feel like like wrong in a way, um, given how little the game actually meant to us. I mean, you talk about that Tamori goal, the celebrations afterwards, like it was it was a huge moment for Milan that and they obviously thought that that was going to be the the launch pad for them to to progress on the night, but it didn't happen. And like you say, Dan, um, a pretty uh, damning reflection of them in a way, but also a glowing endorsement in many ways of the uh, of the depth that Liverpool have available. And uh, one of the players who is kind of a rotational option uh, for Liverpool is the 36 million, I want to say, summer signing. Ibrahima Kanate obviously played alongside Phillips yesterday. Um, Chloe, I'll, I'll come back to you. 
Um, was he your man of the match? Yeah, I think he probably deserved it. Um, you could see within the first half, especially, he was always on the front foot. There was a couple of times where you thought Milan, oh, there may be one pass away. Um, and he was always stepping up, intercepting. He clearly reads football very well. He's a unit. Um, he's massive. He's boss. Sometimes his distribution isn't great. Um, but we can work on that. And, you know, the players who he's got to look up to, Virgil van Dijk, you've got Matt there, who's boss. You've got Alison behind you. Jordan Henderson, Thiago Fabinho, all in, in the midfield. These are superstars and some of the best players in their positions that you can learn from. Uh, and he'll learn more of the game and more of the situations the more he plays and the more he's in them. But, yeah, he, he was brilliant. Um, so was that Phillips, to be fair. Uh, the, the majority, I don't think there was a performance, really, that was below it, 8 out of 10 from anyone on the pitch. But Canate, um, even in the dying minutes, gets a foot on Kessie's shot, which should probably go in. Um, and he was just he was a rock defensively and he also brought the ball out. Um, and that's what you like to see because I love to see Matip when he steps up as well with the ball. Um, and it just gives that midfield something to think about because with Matip or Kanata, uh, you know, a central defender moving up, it makes the midfield, they don't know whether to push out or whether they stay and it creates gaps in between the lines and that's how we get in. Um, but yeah, brilliant by him, brilliant by the team. But obviously he did save us a couple of times in the end as did Allison with a brilliant save for for Cassie's one on one. one of the things Chloe mentions there is the sort of variety of, of attributes that Canate has in terms of the obviously the defending his own box but also being able to to bring the ball out of defence. He really he is just he's got all the attributes, hasn't he? He's like a he's he's I got a complete set of, of what you'd want from a modern centre back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he certainly does. Um I've said previously, if you're going to build a centre-back, it'd probably look very similar to him um, because he has got it all there. There's no doubt about it. Similar to Chloe, I thought, you know, his one-on-one defending last night was excellent and I thought he dealt with situations really well. Probably the most impressed I've been with him, actually, last night. And I do think it was a man-the-match-worthy performance. Um, I still think there's a reason we haven't seen a great deal of him. I think that's in part due to... Klopp not really throwing new players in. I think we've seen it with Robertson in the past and, and different new signings previously. They haven't really been thrown straight in the deep end. And Canate's been the same, but I think that's more down to him learning the way we play. And his decision-making hasn't been all it's cracked up to be at times. And he has looked not quite in sync, I'd say, with the way Liverpool played previously. But I thought last night was, you know, like I say, definitely his best out in forwards. Um, and there was a time whereby the entire back four stepped up together. And I think they played that it might have been Kessie offside. And it's something that our first choice back four would do. And they do so well. So to see the second string back four essentially do it and Canata be a part of that was really important. But yeah, in terms of him and him moving forwards, you know, he's going to learn off Van Dyke. he's going to learn off Matip, he's going to learn off Joe Gomez because people are forgetting about Joe Gomez a little bit too much, I think, um, in my opinion. But, yeah, we've definitely signed um, a rough diamond, I'd say, in Canate. And if we can hone him and teach him the ways of the Klopp team and, and Van Dyke especially, I think we've got ourselves, you know, one of potentially the best centre-backs in the world in the future. Well, I completely agree with that. And one of the things I was going to mention after we talked about uh, Nat Phillips, which we'll come on to in a second, was um, 
the defensive organisation. But seeing as you just made that point there, Dan, I'll say it now. Like, I think uh, McManaman mentioned it in commentary how Liverpool's defensive line, uh, virtually for the whole game yesterday, was really, really good. I think at pretty much as good as we've seen it um, generally this season. And for, th- for that to be the case when you've got Phillips, um, who's barely played, and Canate, who's you know still obviously adjusting to mm. the team and hasn't played much himself, I think was mm. was hugely impressive, really. Um, and yeah, it's just to say to on that day, yeah, it does, and it's just testament to you know how much work goes on the training ground. I mean, we're all fully aware of that, but when you see such a like I say, such a different side come out and play in almost the identical manner and pull it off, it just shows you how. You know, every single one of them players in that squad is ready and willing to play exactly the same way as the first team. Yeah, that's a great point as well. And just to finish on uh, Kanate, I think I was trying to find a way to best reflect on his start to um, life at Liverpool. And I think really you can just look back to the way he was billed before he joined us when there was kind of these profile articles going around and they were saying, you know, this guy is the real deal. Like, he's got so much potential to go right to the top as a centre-back. But, you know, he is a kind of a rough diamond, um, especially because he hadn't actually played all that much football for Leipzig because of various injuries and the competition that they had. So be patient with him. And I think that's kind of borne out. You know, there have been one or two slightly ropey moments, but I think on the whole, he has shown the immense potential. And like I say, the the variety of attributes that he has... Um, but yeah, as I say, we'll talk about his centre-back partner now. Um, again, we'll start with you, Chloe. I just think that that performance yesterday from Phillips, you know, I was almost blown away by it in the sense that the only football he's played, like the only significant minutes were the second half of a League Cup game against Preston. And then he's come in against AC Milan and produced what I would say was a, basically a 9 out of 10 performance. Like, would you would you agree with that? Were you just kind of stunned by how good he was? Yeah, I think he's your, your traditional centre half, isn't he? He doesn't he doesn't mess about with this bringing the ball out, and we did see an absolute bit of quality from him in the box at one point. But he's the person who'll just run through brick walls for you, brick walls for the badge, and that's what he does every time he comes on. Um, it is very surprising how he seems like he doesn't even need a warm up. It's like he doesn't make a mistake. And maybe that's because instead of messing about on the ball or taking a bit too much time, he's very much just, let's do the basics. Head of the ball away, get me foot on it, intercept it, don't let people get past me. You know, maybe it's because he is old style that like you don't really see many like errors or mistakes from him um, because he's not being asked to do what a conventional now uh, centre-half would do. But he, he's brilliant. I absolutely love him. He's he's one of the main reasons why we've got into the the Champions League. Um, and to see him play at the San Siro, to see him and Canate pocket Slatan, who absolutely loves himself and thinks he's brilliant. Um, it, it was great because this is what this lad deserves. He's fought for us. He's been given an opportunity after several years, and he's took it. And then you know you see the fact that he's got to then try and battle Virgil Van Dijk, Matip, Joe Gomez. Canate, all of these players to even try and get a game. And when he does get the game, he doesn't moan about not playing. He just comes in and literally does everything for you. Um, yeah, it's 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 boss to see, and it's 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 great that we have that option because he seems very reliable in everything that he does. 
Um, and he, he also doesn't seem like a, a, a massive injury issue, which Matip, Canate, Joe Gomez, you can see them whenever they go down, my heart and my mouth. Virgil van Dijk at times now, if he goes down, you worry about is if he could affect that knee again. Um, so, yeah, it is brilliant to see him just literally get on with the dirty work and do it. And he must put some effort in um, in training to be as good as he is to just slot in and it look like he plays week in, week out. And do you know what occurred to me, you know, as you made those points, is that the guy has come into the team and he's done it repeatedly. I remember the uh, derby uh, where Jones scored that long-range goal. I think he sort of came back from loan uh, for that yeah. game and then went back to Stockgast. And yeah. then he just he produced a really, really solid performance in that game, just mm. completely out the blue. And then last season when he was called upon as well, he didn't really seem like... Obviously, his style is slightly different. Um, compared to the usual centre-backs we have, um, partly because of certain like physical limitations of his pace, things like that. Um, but he didn't seem like he was was overall at all. And he did slot in like pretty pretty seamlessly, I would say, or as seamlessly as he, as he could have done in the circumstances. Dan, I want to raise something that I saw in a, in a clip from um, the, your Redmond appearance uh, earlier. And I think it was um, Steve, the host, was talking about how Obviously, there's that moment where he turns in his own box, um, and everyone's going to you know talk about that. And I think even the uh, official Liverpool account tweeted about it, Klopp's laughing about it and stuff. But I think what Steve was saying that I found really interesting was almost having those kind of mean moments like that is not disrespectful to Phillips, but maybe it's like painting him as a little bit of a you know it it does a bit of a disservice to his actual quality as a centre back. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think Steve was right to make the point because when we, you know, if we're going to be honest, it could come a time when that Phillips does leave the club. I think that's been sort of alluded to recently in terms of, I mean, Klopp said he was, you know, he stuck around this season whilst players return from injury. But eventually, you know, he is he is deserving of and he's going to want regular first team football because I personally think he is ready for that right now. Like I said today, I think he's ready for Premier League football at the very least right now, if I'm honest. Um, and he's just not going to get that with us, provided everyone stays fit. But in terms of, he he has become, I think because of the situation he came in last season when we were, you know, on the ropes, backs of the wall, you know, crying out for centre-backs, he was almost like a superhero then because he came in out of the blue in many senses, like, you know, Fella from Bolton, been alone in the Bundesliga, second tier, you know, the season before. And just everything about him just screams like no-nonsense defender. You know, he's just not bothered when he gets knocks. He gets, you know, head bandages on. He just cracks on with the job. He heads everything. So we almost had that cult hero, you know, makeup about him when he came into the side. And the moments he's had for us since then have kind of all played into that. And that was another one last night. But... You know, when we think back, to come back to the original point, when we think back about Nat Phillips, you know, no matter what he goes on to do with Liverpool or beyond, we should remember how important he was to the side in terms of getting us to this Champions League. Because whatever we do this season is going to be massively in part down to what Nat Phillips did last season. You know, if we go on to get to the final or even win this Champions League, Nat Phillips has played a huge role in that. Um, And we should remember how good he was in individual performances as well, not just the fact he came into the side and he showed us up, but 
he was massive in certain moments. I think United away, you know, he gets that assist for one. But just in the game in general, he's brilliant. And he did that time and time again for us. And he did that again last night. You know, he's helped us there, you know, do something that no English club has ever done. And that shouldn't be forgotten. But we will all remember the moments like the turn and the memes and the fact that he added everything. I think there's certain things going around of him heading bricks and all that cult sort of carry on, which is great and it's funny. And he likes it. He plays into it himself. But we mustn't forget his quality as well. Yeah, and I think he showed that with, um, I think there were a couple of switches to play. He played, because obviously I think he was playing right centre-back and he's played a couple of like uh, long balls out to the left-hand side. And you just think, yeah, he's got, he's got that in his locker as well. Obviously, we see um, Van Dijk do that all the time and he maybe can't produce, you know, that that quality of pass. But it's not like he's one of those defenders who isn't comfortable whatsoever on the ball, far, far from it, actually. Um but you you allude to Phillips's future there, and I'll, I'll I'll stay with you, Dan, because it occurred to me this week that West Ham um, yeah. have uh, Ogbonna out for the season, I think, yeah. and uh, Zuma is out for up to three months as well. So obviously we're talking about a team here who will want to be in the top four fight, and mm-hmm. as a minimum, will want to be qualifying for Europe. Do you think that maybe they might take a look at? Um, Bringing Phillips in on loan, and I'd I'd certainly say that he's uh he's good enough to play for for that level of team, and he suits them as well. Yeah, he does suit them. That was a the point I was going to make. I think he suits them down to the ground. If I'm honest, um, you know, no disrespect to Nat Phillips in saying this because, like Chloe alluded to, the fact he is sort of you know non-compromising and no nonsense plays into the fact he doesn't really make mistakes because you know he's not trying to make mistakes. He's trying to defend, um, and I think David Moyes would appreciate that in him. I have my reservations about loaning him to West Ham simply because of how good West Ham are. Um, and we've seen that a few weeks ago firsthand. So that would be my only... Sort of, I don't expect us to be in a top four battle, touch wood, with them or anyone else for that matter. But West Ham are, you know, sort of a competitor these days. So allowing any player to go to them would be a, of concern slightly. But, you know, maybe come the end of the season. If it was a loan deal, potentially like you allude to, and then maybe a permanent deal at the end of the season, I certainly think he's good enough to play for West Ham. I think West Ham would benefit from having him. And I do think, like I touched upon earlier, whether it be January or he does stick around to the end of the season, he is going to move, in my opinion. Yeah, I see I see what you mean in terms of um, being maybe a little bit closer to, us for, to consider that. But certainly from their point of view, I'd say it'd be worth a try. Um, Chloe, I'll let you um, weigh in on, on Phillips' future. Would you be expecting him to leave in January um, now that it's clear that he's barely going to play uh, realistically? Or do you think maybe he'll stick around to the end of the season and then get sold on for a decent amount of money? I think in this situation, it is all up to the player because Klopp is not going to stop him. And I don't think he, he should be stopped because he's done his service for Liverpool. He's... Uh, a hero to us uh, for what he did last season, for what him and Reese Williams did for us. Um, everyone absolutely adores him as Liverpool fans because he just, he, like I said earlier, he plays for the badge. Um, he, he doesn't deal with any of the messing about. He just gets on with everything. I mean, I'm pretty sure the last game of the season, him and Reese Williams both had like cut their heads, but like there was no other options and he just got on with it. Um, and I think that is the type of player that Phillips is. And I think if he wants to go, fair enough, because he deserves to play week in, week out. He's good enough. He's good enough to play in the Premier League. 
I wouldn't mind seeing him at a Burnley or something like that. I think he's better uh, than than Burnley, but I think he'd suit their style of play. Um, and I think he deserves he deserves to play football. So if he chooses to go in January, I wish him all the best. Um, not when he plays against us. I I is team lose in that instance, but. Uh, for a personal bit, uh, personal accolade to him, I really do wish he does well and whatever he does. And if he stays with us until you know the end of the season, and if he gets a couple, um, a uh, substitute performances or FA Cup, Carabao Cup, whatever it may be, uh, then we'll obviously support him and everything that he does there as well. So I think in this instance, it is very much down to the player and what he chooses to do, um, because we can't stand in his way, and I don't think we would. Um, but at the same time, if he wanted to give it till the end of the season, you could totally understand why. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, and there's a possibility that last night would have would have changed that, um, given how good he was. It looks like possibly the only starting opportunity he'll have is um, obviously we got Shrewsbury in the third round of the cup, so we might uh, he might play that one and then potentially the subsequent rounds, depending on who we play there. But even then, there might be, you know, an argument of whichever Gomez playing and then whichever one of Matip and Canati didn't play, play the uh, previous game uh, might get it. So, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't look particularly great from that point of view, but I think, you know, the essence of what you were saying there, Chloe, was that, you know, if he did go, he'd certainly go with the best wishes of everyone um, connected to the club. And certainly coming back to Anfield, I think he'd get, an amazing reception, but um, let's uh, move it on to uh, the weekend because we want to devote an additional amount of time to this one because of obviously the pretty unique circumstances of having um, Steven Gerrard, one of Liverpool's biggest legends, uh, coming back to Anfield in the opposing dugout. Um, I guess to, to open this up, and I'll come back to you, Chloe, I mean, how are you, you feeling about it? We spoke about it a little bit about this, you know, occasion uh, when Gerard was initially announced. But, you know, we're from kind of the same sort of generation as fans. Maybe, you know, Dan's a few years older, but we all probably had a period of our lives where we, we kind of idolised Gerard. So what are your kind of emotions in, in the days kind of leading up to this game? Um, if you would ask me a couple of weeks ago, I'd have felt... A bit sad to see him come as an opposition manager, but I'd have been happy. Right now, I just want to batter him, and I'm being deadly honest. I don't, as just as professional as he is in the sense of he said, I don't have any sentimental uh, memories or anything that's going to come into play. It's the exact same for me. I want to batter Aston Villa. I want to put a statement out. I want to be top of the league. I want to get three points. Um, and if that's at the hands of Gerard, then it's at the hands of Gerard. He'll do well at Aston Villa. I hope he does well at Aston Villa. But when he comes up against us, I we absolutely battle him. And that is just that's just competitiveness. Um I idolised him for years. I love him. Um I'd put him up there as probably the best player to play for Liverpool. Um he's one of the best I've ever seen. He was a captain, he's a scouser. But all of that goes out the window because I want the three points and I'm gonna be in that stadium and I'll probably sing his name. Sure, I'll give him a good reception, I'll clap him. But once I that that, you know, first kickoff whistle goes, I want nothing but the three points. And if that means creating an awful atmosphere, then I will create an atmosphere that means I put that Aston Villa team under pressure. And that's what it is like. I don't 
like building up to it now I couldn't care that he's coming back to Liverpool just for the main reason of three points is more important to me because I want to win this league I didn't get to see it in person when we won the league and yet we did win the league but doesn't feel like we've won the league that much to me because I I should have been in that stadium I should have seen Jordan Henderson lift that trophy and I didn't and now I want it even more and it looks like the players want it even more so for me it's very much just get the job done give him a clap give him you know the reception that he deserves but first of all make sure you get those three points make sure we make it a hostile atmosphere if it needs to be uh, and make sure we get behind our team and our manager first of all before anything and then you know Hopefully, with the three points in the bag, we can sing his name. We can clap him at the end of the game. Um, do a round of Stevie Gerrard is our captain, whatever. Um, and and that'll be absolutely fine. But the most important thing is the three points. There's been some talk on on Twitter, uh, obviously just on on the margins, really, about how you know maybe certain fans don't want to absolutely uh, pummel them. Um, obviously, Chloe, you're kind of taking the opposite point of view on that and I'd agree as well like ultimately you want as as big a win as as possible for Liverpool um you know goal difference wise it's it's going to be helpful in that respect and I think you also touch on an important point about the competitive spirit as well in terms of Gerard will show Liverpool the respect of trying as hard as he possibly can um to beat them because you know to do anything else would probably be considered a bit of an insult um and also you know from from our point of view as well showing showing him the respect of, of trying as hard as he possibly can to beat him um dan i was having a think and i can't really recall many sort of occasions like this not just for liverpool but in the premier league the best i could I could do was I, I know Dog Leash would come back um, as a manager. Yeah. I think Blackburn uh, won the league at Anfield. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know a bit of a different occasion. And then Lampard went back um, to Chelsea as Derby manager, and uh, Patrick Vieira obviously to Arsenal recently, but probably isn't on the uh, the level of of Gerard or not quite in in terms of that club's history. I mean, let's just acknowledge the fact that this is a really it's going to be really really strange, isn't it? You know, I know Chloe talks about how, you know, we're absolutely desperate to win the game and, you know, destroy Gerard's team or whatever. But seeing Gerard in that scenario and almost knowing that Steven Gerard doesn't want Liverpool to win is just going to be really <laughs> surreal. Yeah, it is. There's no getting away from that. Um, I, just to say, I echo every single one of Chloe's sentiments in terms of, you know, give Gerard the respect he deserves, potentially before and after the game. But when, you know, the whistles go, that's it, in my opinion. We have to beat them. But, yeah, I've, I don't recall anything similar. Obviously, we've had managers come back to us. We've had it recently with Benitez in terms of coming up against him. Um, we've had it a few times in the past now with him. But, obviously, particularly at Everton more recently, it was a bit more poignant in a way. Um, it, it is strange, um, you know, to, to think about, you know, wanting Steven Gerrard to get beat so heavily um, and Gerrard, like you say, probably wanting to beat Liverpool. It is a strange dynamic. There's no getting away from that. But, you know, he's a professional, you know, our players, coaching staff, Jurgen Klopp in particular, are, you know, mentality monsters to you to coin that old phrase of his. Um, so I don't foresee any sort of crossover. There shouldn't be in the crowd, even in my opinion, and any supporters that, you know, almost want us to, go easy for want of a better phrase I, I don't get that I don't understand that uh, mindset whatsoever because 
you know, we're fighting for Premier League title here and three points is the most important thing. And hopefully it actually enhances the atmosphere inside the stadium because Anfield three o'clock, you know, as as good as the atmosphere can be at Anfield, I've been to a hell of a lot of three o'clock on a Saturday that isn't isn't fantastic. And um, in a way, this sort of semi reunion has come at a good time because obviously we're crest of a wave, absolutely flying. Villa have picked up a little bit as well. But more importantly, you know, we're not longing for a change of manager. For the opposite, in fact. So we're not looking at Gerard going, oh, I almost wish he was in our dugout. You know, we're in a, such a good place at the moment, in our own bubble, just absolutely flying. We don't have to worry about any outside factors, and we all adore Jurgen Klopp. So we're not looking over at the opposite dugout, like I say, going, oh, yeah, that would be nice. That's not happening yet. We almost understand where we're at and where he's at. And if it happens in the future, it happens. But right now, you know, it's business as usual, in my opinion, and get the niceties out of the way early on and then crack on from there. I also think with the level of what we're saying, when I say I want to batter them, it's not just because Gerard's there, it's, it's also because I know Aston Villa can get something out of this game. Aston Villa have got star quality players. They're a great team. They've got a good philosophy. I enjoy watching them. And I know that they can be a real problem for Liverpool. So by me saying I want to batter them, it's because I want to make a statement. Because this Aston Villa side are going to be coming here. They're going to want it even more because they know Steven Gerrard is a hero for Liverpool. They know it. They're going to want it even more because they want Gerrard to get one over Klopp. They're going to want it even more because we're challenging for the title and we're deemed one of the best in the world. So there's so many factors and reasons for them to be so far up for it that, for me, I don't think you can let any of the backroom noise come into it of Steven Gerrard's coming back. You just do the work. You hopefully batter them. And then you say, good luck, Stevie. Good luck, Aston Villa. Hope you do all right. You know, finish, you know, mid-table, higher up. Fight for maybe a European spot. But you cannot let anything affect uh, how you play in this game. And you can't affect the results. And anyone who wants Liverpool to drop points or play not very well here, it's absolutely beyond me because... <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on a title, and uh, it's it's that simple. And we need all three points. And you cannot drop points at home, especially not against these teams such as Aston Villa. I have just respected them. I've said they're really well, they're good, but they you're not they're not your Chelsea's, your City's. They're not your Man United, which is in a, a massive game in a sense. Your Everton, which is a local derby, it is deemed a, a game that should be winnable for Liverpool. And if you drop any points at home. Don't expect to win the league. That is how I look at it. If you're dropping points here and there, a bit like Brighton, we dropped points at Brighton when we were 2-0 up. Don't expect those results to fall in your favour and win the league. You have to bury these these teams. You just have to. I completely agree with that. And I'd like to think that even without Gerrard being a factor, Liverpool's motivation for playing Aston Villa for about a decade would be Sky high after what happened, obviously, um, when we went to Villa Park last season, but we won't, uh, we won't get into that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, Gerard and his sort of whether the, you know this journey is going to end at Liverpool. I don't know if how many of his interviews you two have watched. Um, you know, recently been making an effort to try and you know see as many as possible. Um, and a phrase that keeps coming up, um, partly because of the question he's getting asked, is, is, is stepping stone and how he kind of rejects the idea that 
Um, he views Aston Villa that way. Um, Dan, do you think he he's being sincere there, or do you think really in the back of his mind this Aston Villa is a means uh, at the bottom line? Is it a means to an end? It, that's a really difficult one because. You know, he has to say it's not a stepping stone right now because obviously out of respect for his current employers, there's no no two ways about that. Um, in the back of his mind, I don't think he'll be thinking, yeah, this is a stepping stone. I want the Liverpool job. But I don't think you can deny, and anyone could deny, it. it's his dream. It would be his dream to return to Anfield and manage the club one day. Um, he probably knows he's got certain things he needs to tick off before he gets to that level because you need to be an elite manager, despite some of the managers we've had in the past. Um, Roy Hodgson um, but you need to be a certain level of manager really to get the Liverpool job and Gerard he knows that better than most people obviously you know he's worked under many of them um, so he won't necessarily see Villa as the stepping stone to the job but there's no getting away from it it will be his ambition it'll be his burning ambition to come back to Liverpool and manage the club he, he'd love that there's, it's a, it's a no brainer in so many senses Um like I say, out of respect for his current employers, he simply couldn't say anything other, in my opinion. It's almost the party line. And just to say on a Saturday as well, I think we've seen this side now come through all sorts of different scenarios, you know, bad, good, negative, horrendous, etc. And and they always deal with it. They deal with adversity and they get through it. And this is an adversity. This is something slightly different. It's almost sentimental. But so few of our players, I reckon Henderson probably played with Gerrard, uh, and that's probably it. So there isn't really that crossover there. They're going to know who he is, obviously, in the club legend, etc. But there isn't really that natural crossover. So I don't think it'll have too much of an impact on the side. And, Chloe, to put a similar question to you, another thing uh, Gerard said was that he'd be perfectly happy for Jurgen Klopp to sign a lifetime deal. And speaking as a Liverpool fan, um, that's probably the case. And we, I'm sure we'd all agree with that. But do you think, speaking, you know, from Gerard's actual position, does he mean that, or is that again just, uh, you know, something that he has to say in front of the cameras? I think first of all, Gerard wants what's best for the club. Yeah, he'd like to probably in the future manage Liverpool, but at the end of the day, managing Liverpool, you've got to be one of the best, um, especially after what Jurgen Klopp has done for this this football club right now. To overtake him, you've got to be one of the best managers in the world. And I, I'm not too sure Steven Gerrard will get there by the time that Jurgen Klopp leaves um, Liverpool. And that's just, my, I, I don't want him to come in too early and it end wrong. I don't. And it's that simple. I'd rather have someone who will get the job done, who'll keep us up there. And then, you know, when time comes and it's right for Gerrard, then he can potentially take it. But to be honest, I'm not even thinking about Gerrard. Um, taken the, the Liverpool job because I adore Jurgen Klopp. I would love Jurgen Klopp to stay for the rest of my life. I would. And that is because of what he does. He embodies the entire football club. His passion, his enthusiasm, his body language. It, you just feed off everything he gives you. Um, and, you know, you absolutely adore the fact that he loves this club as much as the fans do. So, um for me, all this talk about Steven Gerrard being manager and I, I just stay out of it. I just couldn't care less. We're not near that point yet. One day would I like to see, you know, Steven Gerrard manage Liverpool? Yeah, sure, of course I would. 
But if he's not ready and if he's not at the level, then I don't want him there. And that's not just because I want to be the best football club and win things. It's also, I don't want, not that Steven Gerrard could tarnish what he's done for Liverpool, but it's more of the fact that I don't want him coming in and a bit like Frank Lampard and him being here for a little while, it not working out and him just parting ways. I don't want that. If he's going to be in our club, I want him to be successful. I want him to win things. I want us to strive for success and be at the top. I want him to be one of the world's best managers. So I am not going to, as soon as Jürgen Klopp leaves Liverpool, which I will cry on that day, um, I will not just want Steven Gerrard to instantly come into my football club. I want him to come into my football club when he's ready, when he's at the level and when he truly believes he's good enough. And when Liverpool truly think he's good enough, um, because there's no need in forcing a, a, a legend back to your club for it to p- potentially not work out correctly. And then who's to say that that is one opportunity to ever be Liverpool manager? And if he takes it too early and he's not prepared, he's not ready, he might not get the opportunity again when he's one of the world's best. And that's what you want. You want him to come in and, yeah, I want him to learn, but I also want him to, to come into this this side and be able to win things from the beginning. Um, maybe, you know, we rebuild in a sense of uh, the way we play and tactics, but not the same rebuild as Jürgen Klopp. We hadn't won a league uh, for, for 30 years. I, I don't want that run again before Steven Gerrard comes in. I don't want him to have to rebuild us. I want him to use the tools that we've got, put his input of tactics and style on it, bring players in that he likes, bring the staff in that he likes, and us to bounce in and try and win things Um as soon as possible. I don't want a five-year rebuild again because I just don't... There is a lot of times where players, uh, where, where managers, sorry, don't get given the time that they probably deserve. And I'd be concerned that because he's a local legend that um, people would either give someone too much time or they'd give him too little time because they don't want to tarnish what could potentially happen to, to the person's legendary status at the club. So... When he's ready, when he's at the top level, when he can take us to titles, then absolutely. But I'd rather Jürgen Klopp right now sign a new contract and stay a bit longer, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe there's a scenario where Klopp has a sabbatical and then comes back to to Liverpool. I know I think Simon Hughes wrote a a piece suggesting that maybe Liverpool try and do that. And I think you're you're bang on with with what you're saying there, especially in terms of who Gerrard's going to be competing with. if he's in the frame in, in 2024, um, not only in terms of you know the the kind of the pedigree of the managers he'll be up against, like um, who will probably have you know achieved quite a lot in, in European competition, which he might not have had the opportunity to do, uh, but also in terms of you know this Klopp's going to be an impossible act to follow. There's literally no upgrade on on Jurgen Klopp. Um, it's, it's it's almost it's almost objectively impossible to be a better Liverpool manager uh, than Jurgen Klopp's been. Really, so yeah, I'd say that pretty much um, wraps us up on this, the Gerard elements um, of of the game. We can move on to I guess the, the on field action. Uh, but before that, Dan, is there anything else you wanted to add on on Gerard there? No, mate. I think it's been perfectly covered. To be honest with you, like I say, I just it, it's such a difficult one, isn't it? It really is. You know, we all love the man to pieces, but. That just has to go out the window Saturday three o'clock. You know whether you're there or not. We've just got to think about what we've we've got to attend to our own business, as it were, and and that's got to be the case. So let's let's talk about how we're going to do that. 
So obviously Gerald's had four games now. Um, let's talk about the kind of team that he's building, the, type, the kind of team we're going to be facing um, at the weekend. So, um, Dan, I'll come straight back to you. What have you kind of made of them over these these past four games, you know, based on what you've seen? Yeah, so they look to have taken a far more positive approach. Um, I'm not going to lie, you know, confess I was a massive Aston Villa watcher prior to Gerald's appointment. But since I have, you know, taken notice and tried to compare it back to what they were under Dean Smith. Um, and they do seem far more uh, active in many ways in terms of trying to get at teams. And I think they were similar against Man City. And, you know, they gave him a hell of a fight in many ways. They, they arguably deserved to get something out of that game. So... I expect them to be much the same. I think Gerald will be cautious in terms of he knows what it's going to be like coming to face this Liverpool side. He's probably watched Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp more than any manager in the Premier League, if we're going to be honest, just out of fandom as opposed to anything tactical. So he will be cautious, but I do think he will try and take the game to us because that seems to be the style of manager he is. And one thing I will say is, to come from Scotland, whereby you have the lion's share of 95% of the games up there, it might be quite a hard transition for him. There's many difficult things about managing the Premier League, but having come from a league whereby, obviously, they won, they won the league last season, and they were better than the majority, Celtic are on par, you know, there's some clubs who can give them a fight every now and then, but generally, they dominate games. So, for him to come from a team whereby that's the case, to have to come to a team whereby they don't really you know, have that much of a say, certainly against the, the big six slash top three as it is this season. It's a difficult thing for him to do. So I do think he'll try and be positive. He looks like he gets his defenders forward a hell of a lot, fullbacks in particular. But up at Rangers, I think uh, Tavernier was his top scorer, the captain, the right back. And I think he had Connor Goldson not far behind him, a centre-half. And then Esri Konza scores twice at the weekend for Villa. So... It looks to be a big impetus on defenders getting goals from set pieces and beyond. So it'll be interesting because if he comes to us and wants to play that way and wants to get full backs forward, you know, we thrive on that with Salomon Mane. So he might be wrestling with himself a little bit this week about quite how to approach it. I think there'll be elements of caution and bravery in the game plan. And, you know, I don't think he'll be stupid and try and, you know, play very high up the pitch or anything like that you know it will be a predominantly reactive I think but there'll also be an element of aggression and I think maybe it'll be one of those where when Villa do have the chance to counter attack you'll see they'll commit a lot of players forward um, and they'll really you know try and tease the opportunities that they do have and yeah you're right to mention that City game obviously is biggest test so far and they didn't you know get any announce of it but um I think there was a chance for um, Chuck Wemmicker right at the end. Uh, Edison makes a really good save. So it could easily, um, I think they played really well in the second half and could easily have got um, a point out of it, which would have been a you know real statement result for him. Uh, Chloe, what have you uh, made of, of uh, the start to Gerard era at Villa on the pitch? I think he's drilled them very well. They're a well-drilled team. I think when he came in, they were 18th in the league for conceding goals. Uh, and I think they were around 7th in the league for scoring goals. So we can say that they've looked more positive. But to be honest, seventh highest to score goals in the league for Aston Villa is really good. That's that's where they'd, they'd like to be. It's uh, with, with their attacking quality, they should be in and around there. It was the d- defensive side that I think um, 
Stevie G needed to sort out. And he's came in and he has done. They look confident passing out from the back. Emmy Martinez, a brilliant keeper. I don't know how he's been slept on for this many years. Um, I do love the fact that he's got a bit of shit hazardry in him as well. I can't lie. Um, hopefully he doesn't do any of that against us now. But he's he's drilled them well, and uh, they look a really exciting team on the ball and out of possession. They look well drilled. Um, they know the roles. They've got John McGinn, who I think's absolutely brilliant. They've got the likes of Wendy, who's good. Danny Ings, obviously we we know him. Uh, Ollie Watkins, who's who's started scoring a, a a bit more now and getting in the areas. Um, so yeah, they just look overall a much better all-rounded team. Um, and I don't think. When Dean Smith left, I think it was one of the more shocking uh, kind of sacks uh, that we've seen. Just because I think some of the performances, like the results didn't reflect the performances that his side were putting in at times. Um, I think he lost five on the bounce, but I don't think his team was playing that bad. They still had quality. You could still see them playing really good. They still had it in them. Um, Obviously, results didn't go your way. Things get on your back you're subject to a load of criticism. Um, but Stephen Gerrard has steadied the ship and he's he's just made them look a really decent team, which they should be because they've got the quality there. They've got a boss stadium, uh, one of my favourites in uh, the Premier League. So um, it does look really bright for them. And although it may sound like through this entire episode, I absolutely despise Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> I do love him and I do hope he does well. It's just not when he comes up against Liverpool. Um, so yeah, I think I think the in good hands. Um, I think Stephen Gerrard's already implemented his style and his tactics already, and it's they've already got used to a lot of it. Um, and you can also see the passion that Stephen Gerrard has on the sidelines when he scored, and um, full of energy, full of praise for his team. And uh, yeah, they, they they could be four from four, but the three from four, and and they'll come into this game with a lot of confidence. I mean, first of all, to pick up on on the thing that you said about Dean Smith, I think you kind of got a point there because you know I remember the first half of last season they looked like they were on for the top half finish. I think they then had a spell without Grealish and everything kind of tailed off. And obviously this season, um, it didn't work out. Um, despite you know the investments in the summer, I think injuries probably played a part as well. And now you've got Villa who are essentially by default. Um, I would have thought the second team of of most Liverpool fans now. Um, regardless of kind of what you thought of them beforehand. Um, and the first time Gerard um, was televised was against uh, City. Um, obviously, it was the same time we were playing Everton, so we probably hadn't, didn't have the chance to watch that one, but they were on against Leicester last weekend. Um, and they started that game quite poorly, I thought. Uh, but, yeah, very much got better and not only deserved to win, but probably should have won the game by more goals than the one that they did. And, I think um, Chloe, all the players you mentioned, um, I had them noted down as well. Like McGain, obviously a player that Klopp likes. We know that from what we read in the summer. They've just got really good players all over the pitch. I think defensively, I think Tyler Mings is a bit overrated, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he does a job for them, let's be honest. And you've got Cons, and he obviously came up with two goals. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think they've got really good players, high energy, uh, love doing the dirty work. Um, and I think that is the sole foundation of, of a lot of um, football teams is you've got to have the attitude first. It's all right having the absolute skill and technique, but if you don't have the correct attitude to, to go out there and play, 
uh, you're not going to find yourself in the crack positions and you're not going to find yourself as a team player and your team not winning because if you're not working back and putting in the effort then you're going to be out of position and they're going to capitalize so uh, just an all-round really good squad uh, for for Aston Villa yeah. and I think you're right you look at it and you'd say this is a team that it's kind of a bang on kind of 10th place kind of squad and I think what Gerard's doing is um just the early signs are that he's improving some of the players as well players like Nakamba um for example you know it'd be good to uh, get some preferred lineups for this one but Dan was there anything you wanted to add on on Villa before we talk about how Liverpool might line up for this one no I think you you've nailed it like I say I think they bought really well with the Grealish money, and I was quite shocked that they started the season quite slowly. I know it can be difficult when you have a you know, relatively big overhaul and influx of players. It can be difficult to hit the ground running, but I did expect slightly more from them because I thought they, like I say, I thought they signed really well. Leon Bailly, I like. Um, I don't think he'll be fit and available because he seems to be injured more than he's not, unfortunately for them. Um, Buendia is a very good player, um, and like, like Chloe touched upon earlier, you know, I hope. Gerald can get the best out of these um, because he's got a good squad to work with and it can really, you know, enhance his managerial career. But just hope he doesn't get the best out of them on Saturday. Certainly, certainly agree with that. Um, let's then have a look at, at our point of view. We spent a lot of time talking about, uh, about Aston Villa and, and Stephen Gerrard, but let's talk about Jurgen Klopp and kind of see who he might go for. We saw two players... Um, Come back into the uh, the fold yesterday, and the injury situation, Touchwood seems to be uh, perking up at the moment. Like um, we're looking relatively uh, relatively strong in that respect. Um, so that obviously makes it maybe a little bit more difficult to to pick a side. But Chloe, um, do you think there's any reason to make a change from the side that we saw against Everton, and uh, and then we saw subsequently against against Wolves? No, absolutely not. Um, that is our best lineup, and that's the lineup I want. Um, it's what I want every game, if possible. But it, you know, obviously with the busy schedule, there might not be. Um, but I think Aston Villa is a really, really hard game. Um, I, th- I think they've got quality, and they can they can get at us. So I think your best lineup's got to be there, and that best lineup was the one against Everton, and it was the one against Wolves. Um, if and I think we also have the option now because. You see Henderson and Thiago come off around 70 minutes. Um, both of them are pretty much nailed on substitutions unless anything badly goes wrong. And I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain once again took his chance the other night and I think he deserves to come off the bench. Um, I think with players coming back, our bench just looks a lot stronger. We talk about not having the squad depth that City and Chelsea have. But with these players coming back from injury, um, it does give us more options. Um I'm not too sure I'd like to throw them in this game, especially when the just came back from injury. Um, but I most definitely wouldn't be opposed to seeing them come off the bench. Uh, even Divock Origi, you know, coming off the bench with, with however long to go. Um, so, yeah, same lineup for me. Um, and it'll be good to, to maybe uh, see how we are on Thursday when it comes to, obviously, Newcastle. And if someone needs a rest, I'm absolutely sound with the likes of... Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain or you know Divock Origi, Naby Keita, Joe Gomez, I'm fine, Tismikas, all of these players are absolutely fine with starting a game. I just wouldn't start them for this one because I think um, I think momentum in, in, in this part of the period is so, so important and we need to keep it up. And obviously, 
with the majority of them all having midweek off against AC Milan, they should all be absolutely sound to play. Yeah, I think the um, you know it's something we mentioned before, but the Porto Milan games, you know, if we get to the end of this festive period and we're in good shape, I think we'll look back at that and think, yeah, that was you know a really nice luxury that we we earned for ourselves there. Um, I was going to mention the Newcastle game because um, home game against the team who were in the relegation zone, and I know they'll potentially have some momentum, but before January, um, Newcastle are you know. They're barely looking like a Premier League standard side at the moment. So that is the one really that you'd probably be looking to make changes for it if you're going to in this period. And, you know, some of the players that you mentioned could come in, Chloe. I mean, one thing I didn't mention is that um, Van Dijk, Thiago, Henderson and Jota, I think were the four players who didn't train uh, pre, pre-Milan yeah. and certainly didn't travel uh, to the game. So I think the, the assumption would be that um, they're all just being rested rested and managed so on on the basis that all of those players are available and fingers crossed that they are and it's just um you know that was the reason Dan um would you agree with with Chloe Chloe and I that it's just you know a case of throwing that Airwolves team back out again I would yeah I would um and there's absolutely no reason why not in many ways like you say they've had the midweek rest you know had they all been involved if it was an important game, if it had something riding on it, then it might be a different situation. You might have to look at the Villa game slightly differently, but there's no reason to. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was actually the one I was going to sort of throw into the mix as well, um, because I think he was really impressive last night in in all aspects of his game. We're not going to do the delve deep into his performance now, but I thought it was brilliant. And he really is taking his chance at the minute. So he's probably the one knocking on the door because he might have felt a little bit hard done by to be left out with the side, despite the quality we were bringing in in Thiago. And his performances haven't really dipped based on last night. So, you know, he's certainly the one, like Chloe mentions, potentially knocking on the door to be the first substitute used. Um, And certainly when it comes to Newcastle, definitely, you know, probably worthy of a start in that game. But... As for Villa, I'd keep it exactly the same and let us roll on. You know, Henderson, if we're honest, I mean, certainly what I thought, didn't have a particularly good game against Wolves. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, maybe on the basis of immediate form, you could make the argument for Ox. But again, that's that's one I'd be looking to uh, for, for Thursday against Newcastle. Like, obviously, you can't make too many changes. Don't want to take too big a risk with it. But, you know, maybe kind of three or four, and he'd certainly be... Uh, one of the players that was knocking on the door so we're almost done but we'll get some score predictions uh before we finish up chloe it seems like uh you'll accept nothing less than a 10-0 drubbing um but aside from what what you want us to do to, to gerard um <laughs> do you, do you think, actually think it's going to happen um realistically a 2-0 what i'd really like is a 4-0 um so either one of them will make me happy. To be honest, I don't care how we do it. I just want the win. Uh, you could give me a 90th minute own goal from Aston Villa and I'd absolutely be flying limbs everywhere on the cop. So I don't care as long as we win. But in my you know lovely little world, I'd love a 4-0. Uh, but I'll settle for two. Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult game. Obviously, last season we saw the, um, I think, Trent getting that winner, presumably in stoppage time uh, from outside the box. So, you know, Went right to the the wire in that one. Although I think there was an element of us not taking our chances. Um, I'll just throw my prediction in before uh, we get yours. Then I think 
Um, I went with a uh, a tight one uh, last week, and that proved to be accurate. I'm gonna go similar this week and say two one to us. Um, I've got a feeling that um, Watkins might uh, pounce on an opportunity for Villa, but I'd like to think that ultimately we will have uh, too much quality for them. Um, what do you reckon, Dan? More confident or not? Yeah, I'll split the difference between what Chloe thinks will happen and what she wants to happen. I'll go 3-0. Um, just because, well, we had our tight game last week and we're going to return to swashbuckling all conquering Liverpool that we've seen all season. Goals flowing. And I'm going to do my usual and say, particularly at home, early goal changes the whole complex of the game. So we'll get that and we'll win 3-0 nice and easy. In that regard, the... Uh... The Brighton game has, has still scarred me slightly. Um, I think we scored a couple of early ones there and uh, let it get out yeah, of the Yeah, that was Naby Keita going off, killed us there, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's looking really good at the moment, um, especially with that midfield. So yeah, that is about all we've got time for. Um, for the final thoughts, I'm going to ask you both a very trivial question. Uh, Chloe, first of all, do you think that... Steven Gerrard will celebrate if Aston Villa score. Of course. No doubt in my mind. Why wouldn't he? He is a professional. If it, The only thing you needed to know for that answer was tell you there's absolutely no sentimental thoughts from him. Because whether he feels it or not, he's not He's not showing it. And I think most definitely. like Imagine getting a win against one of the best sides in the world. And it'd be in his in his first four games or five games for Aston Villa. Um, of course, he's going to celebrate if he scores, and I I, I wouldn't really blame him. Uh, I don't want to see it, however, but uh, I think for sure he will. Yeah, I wonder if he'll uh, end up doing that celebration he did after beating uh, beating Celtic a couple of years ago. You know, with he's screaming into the camera. Yeah, yeah. But um, Dan, do you agree? <laughs> you know what? I don't, and I don't know whether that's sort of heart rule in the head and thinking, I really don't want to see it. It's like the last thing I want to see. Not only will it mean Villa have scored, but it'll also be Gerrard celebrating, which is so bizarre. Um, but I'm going to say no. I think he'd be very reserved if that was the case. Probably just turn around to his bench, potentially a high five, potentially a small fist bump, but I don't think we'll see celebrations. I don't think we'll see him run over and kiss a camera anyway. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd, I'd probably lean towards what you're saying there. I think obviously he won't be able to, you know, Totally play a cool Rafa Benitez style, but yeah, I would have thought it's a very restrained uh, celebration. So yeah, um, that's going to be it for episode 44. We'll be back next week after the Newcastle game and we'll be looking ahead to Tottenham. So see you then.